Good morning, everybody. If you'll turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 9, that's where we'll be this morning. 2 Kings 9. A couple announcements before we get started. Uh, Evangeline's uh, graduation party is today after the second service will be from 3 to 5 p.m. at our house, though. So there's uh, invitations out there on the table. Go ahead and grab one. Um, and our address isn't on there, but it's 816 South Market Street. So if you need to write that down, that's where we'll be from 3 to 5. Swing by, be cupcakes and drinks and, and shade, a lot of shade. Uh, but AC inside too with chairs, so if you if you melt easily, then you can come on in and um, just spend some time with us. We'd love to see anybody that wants to come uh, celebrate her accomplishment with us. That'd be great. That's today from 3 to 5. Um, I think we have everything back on track and rescheduled, women's luncheon, uh, garage sale, all that. And that goes out in the email, and, and it'll be on our website also. So if you want to get caught up on that stuff, go on to our website, ccmaryville.com, get signed up for the Gmail for, for our, our, our blast, and then you can get all the updates on that. Uh, good, sorry, today's teaching and the next week's teaching and all that's loaded in there. Prayer requests are loaded in that and all, and, and all sorts of spam that we can throw your way. But that's not spam. That's good stuff. So sign up for it and, and you'll get it. Um, and then otherwise, uh, it'll just be there on the site. You can check it out if you don't want to sign up for email because you don't want people you know, spying on you and stuff. So, all right. Second Kings chapter nine, Jehu, I warned you about this today, right? Everybody knows this is Sunday, bloody Sunday. Okay. I just want everybody to understand that you've been warned. It's not my fault. It's written in God's word, but wow. What a, what a message I believe, um, um, some of these passages, 9 and 10, I was going to try to cover both. I may still, I don't know, but God is he's cleaning house here. He's fulfilling those promises, and it's hard to not get caught up in what we're about to read and watch, but there is a spiritual aspect to this. It's very important to us, and so the final uh, seven words or so, I want us to know ahead of time as we go through this, um, Jezebel needs to die, okay? In our lives, our sin, our witchcraft, our rebellion, all the things that are in our lives that are against God are harming us, harming all those people around us. When Christ came to save us, he not only saved us from hell, but he saved us from that. And so Jezebel needs to die. And it gets ugly and it gets bloody. But the point is, we don't have any mercy on our sin. Have no mercy on that sin. Put it down in our lives. Get rid of it. It's not doing us any good for sure. And it's definitely not helping out those around us. It's causing harm. You think of it as cancer. I don't want to keep a little cancer around in my life. Just a little. I mean, take out half the tumor because it's the part that's bugging me. But leave the other half in. We've grown accustomed to one another. No, and cut it out. I want all of it gone. It's going to be a long recovery time. It's going to be a bloody mess. I want to live. I don't want to cause sorrow to those around me or to myself. And so keep that in mind as we go through these, or these two chapters, maybe both, maybe just one. 
And Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, remember he's kind of in charge of the gang, kind of teaching them and bringing them up in the ways of the Lord. He never went to school, but he's definitely helping these guys out. So he's got a task for one of them. Get yourself ready. Take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. Now, when you arrive at that place, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up from among his associates and take him to an inner room. Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and do not delay. (laughs) Yeah. I call this portion lighting the fuse. In 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 21 through 22, we have the prophecy that God says, I'm going to wipe out all of Ahab's posterity. Not in Ahab's lifetime, because Ahab repented, but because of what he did and what he passed on through the generations, they've all got to be removed because they're killing Israel. They're killing Israel through idolatry. The weird things that they do, the child sacrifice, The ways they treated women, you talk about human trafficking, horrible, horrible rituals involved in this bizarre, just bizarre of of hell. I mean, it's just horrible. They have to go. And now last week's chapter prepared us for this. Now, now Ahab might have been a bad guy, but why is kids? I mean, how come everybody else? That doesn't seem quite fair. Well, that's what last week's chapter was for. Over and over again, we circled in our Bibles, our underlined, and they did it because he was just like Ahab. And his daughter did it because she was just like Ahab. They had picked up. It's not automatic. You're not born to follow the footsteps of your father's or your mother's sins, but you can sure learn from them. You can sure improve on them and get better at them and sin even worse. And that's what last week's chapter prepared us for. These kids didn't learn a thing from their dad and their mom's horrific reign of Israel. They improved upon it. And so we see that just like Ahab, just like Ahab, just like Ahab, all through chapter 8. So 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 21 through 22, God's promise, behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity and will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. They led the nation of Israel into sin, into this pagan lifestyle. Horrible. So, That's what's happening here. This guy is fulfilling this prophecy. No longer is the son of Ahab going to be king anymore. We're going to anoint this new guy to be king. And thus, here comes the house cleaning. Here comes the fulfillment of that prophecy. He's lighting the fuse and he says, get out of the way because here it comes. Verse four. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. And when he arrived there, There were the captains of the army sitting, and he said, I have a message for you, commander. And Jehu said, for which one of us? Which shows a little bit about Jehu's character. He didn't automatically recognize himself as the leader of this group at the table. He doesn't understand which commander. We're all commanders here. So keep that in mind. Which commander? And he said, for you, commander, 
Then he arose and went into the house, and he poured the oil on his head and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord. And that's very important. Underline that if you want to. I've anointed you king over the people of the Lord. The current spiritual state of the nation of Israel is not worshiping God, the true and living God that brought them out of Egypt and so on. They're not interested. They got the temple over there, but it's more of a a good luck charm to them. Got to keep him around, the, the good old religions. But they were way into pagan, way into this idolatry, child sacrifice, the whole thing, just going at it, just like all the other countries before them. And yet God still, in his mercy, is looking out for them, saying, it's time for you to get a king that's at least looking towards me a little bit. And he calls them, you're going to be the king over the people of the Lord, still even in that case. For all those that have tested the depths of sin, the depths of rebellion against God, this is hope. A lot of people don't, I can't come to God. I can't come to the church. I can't show up. I can't crack my Bible. They're all afraid they're going to burst into flames or lightning is going to hit them. And God's like, no, no, no. I mean, come on. He's in the saving business. Now, you got to realize you're drowning first. You got to realize that you need a savior first. But once you do, get on board. Can never get that image out of my mind of a Coast Guard from the helicopter's view as the guy is sitting there holding the cable, you know, and dropping down the basket into those poor guys that thought they could outdo the storm. And there they are with their boat capsized. And there's guys bobbing around in the water out there. And there they are. And here comes this basket. You don't have to tell them what's happening. They know what they need to do. They hop in that basket. They realize I am in trouble. That is help. I'm getting in that basket. He doesn't know how the winch works. He doesn't know how the rotors go. He doesn't say, I don't know, the hydraulic system and helicopters are notoriously capable of failing. Some of you in the military know what I'm talking about. I want a jet. I don't want a helicopter. Anyway, no, that's good enough. I'm hopping in. And they get saved. Just like the serpent that was lifted up on top of the pole in Moses' day. And all that looked on it got saved. Now, they don't know how it happened. What's the purpose? What, how does looking at a stick? And we've talked about this many times. The point is, no matter how close you are to drowning or how much trouble you've gotten yourself into, no matter how far away from the land you are floating in the ocean, Jesus is here to help. I've anointed you king over the people of the Lord. Now, keep this in mind. He's poured the oil on his head. You know how we anoint people with oil because that's what it says to do in James 5, anoint them with oil and the prayer offered in faith will save the sick and so on. And so we do that. We kind of do a little dab on the forehead. You know, we don't want to mess up your clothes or anything. Back then, a whole different story. You know, just oil running down the beard of Aaron. You hear the story running down. So this guy's in another room with all the other Commander's going, I wonder what's going on out there. I wonder what's happening inside that room over there. You know? So he comes out, and this little jackrabbit goes, takes off after he's done anointing with oil. And here comes this commander, dripping. <laughs> he says this to him, while he's, before they leave the room, you shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. She's a problem. For the whole house of 
Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab all the males in Israel, both bond and free. So I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and like the house of Bashah, the son of Ahijah. The dogs shall eat Jezebel on the plot of ground in Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and fled. Then Jehu came out, of the, uh, came out to the servants of his master, and one said to him, Is all well? Why did this madman come to you? That's what they thought of the men of God. That was crazies. What did that religious nut say to you now? You know, That's okay. So when you're characterized as a religious nut or a Jesus freak or whatever, you're in good company. He said to them, Oh, you know the man and his babble. And they said, a lie, tell us now. Now he's standing there with oil dripping all over. He goes, I, it, is, it was nothing. <laughs> Who do you think you're fooling? You're soaked in oil. We know what that means. You're lying to us. Tell us what it means. So he said, thus, said, uh, thus, thus and thus, he spoke. They didn't, God didn't want to waste the time telling us everything he said again. Thus and thus, says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. So I don't know if he said everything or he just said, you know, he told me something about Ahab. And then he said, I'm the king of Israel. You know, we don't want to bring up what we're about to do here. Then each man hastened to his garment and put it under him uh, and sat on top of the steps and they blew the trumpets saying, Jehu is king. All right. Well, cat's out of the bag now. Now, if you're a sitting king, and you hear trumpets blowing and a bunch of cheering down the street, it's not a good thing for you at all. Now, he's in another town, so he didn't hear any of this going on. But this means you're about to lose your head. So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, he's now dripping, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Now, it's not conspiring. He's just actually doing what he was told to do, get rid of all the Ahabs and all the posterity. So now Joram had been defending Ramoth Gilead. He's the current king. He's been off in battle, but he got hurt. He and all Israel against Hazael, king of Syria. But King Joram had returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds uh, which the Syrians had inflicted on him when he fought with Hazael, king of Syria. Okay, so he's recovering in this town, but brought back from the front lines and he's recovering from wounds. And Jehu said, if you are so minded, let no one leave or escape from the city to go and tell it in Jezreel. Don't tell anybody I'm coming. So Jehu rode in a chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram was laid up there. And Ahaziah, king of Judah, had come down to see Joram. Neither of these guys are good guys. Both are leading the nation of Israel away from God and into idolatry. So he's down there visiting. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> Probably shouldn't have visited. Now, a watchman stood on the tower of Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company of men. You see this dust cloud, you know, forming, charging. And Joram said, get a horseman and send him to meet him and let him say, is it peace? Now, we don't know why he's saying that. He's, he could be saying, are you coming in peace? Are you here to, well, you know, I heard some trumpets I thought last night. Or is he saying, how's the war going that he had to leave to recover from? Is it peace? Have we recovered? But more than likely, he's wondering if these guys are bringing peace or bringing war. So the horseman went to meet him and said, thus says the king, is it peace? You know, and Jehu said, what have I to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. All right. <laughs> 
You can either go back to your king and let him know that I'm coming and it's not for peace, or you can join us. I think I'll join you, he says. Now, keep in mind, are you getting the picture here? I'm come to wipe out Ahab, sin. I'm on a horse and I'm coming fast. I've been anointed to do this particular job. I'm coming. And someone comes, are you coming for peace? No. Get with me or get in front of me. You want the sharp end or do you want the other end? You want to be with me. Do you want to come back on horses? Hint, hint. Or do you want to be in the receiving end of the sword of my mouth? Which is it? I think I'll join you. So the watchman reported saying the messenger went to them, but is not coming back. He's riding with them. Then he sent out a second horseman who came to him and said, thus says the king, is it peace? And Jehu answered, what have I to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. Okay. So the watchman reported saying, he went up to them and is not coming back. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. You know, he's fishtailing it on the, all the way down the dirt road towards the castle. So the watchman reported, saying, he went up to them and is not coming back and is driving like a madman furiously. And then Joram said, make ready. And his chariot was made ready. Then Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, went out, each in his chariot. And they went out to meet Jehu and met him on the property of Naboth the Jezreelite. That's not a good place for these guys to meet. This is the exact place the prophet said this guy would fall. Just so not ironic, just perfect, absolutely perfect. Now it happened when Joram saw Jehu that he said, is it peace, Jehu? So he answered, what peace? As long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many. Then Joram turned around and fled and said to Ahazai, treachery, Ahazai. So they tried to take off. It's a big deal. Uh, hmm. The scriptures I want to cover with you here at this time um, is 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 22. Um, all these guys that are about to die from here on out, let me, well, let's read 1 Kings 14, 22. Now Judah, this is another company, another group, has nothing to do with these two guys. He's just, this is, this is how God sees sin. I want you to understand that because there is, there's something that moves through the church sometimes, bizarre, generational sin, generational curses, and, and, and you need to get prayed for because you've got some kind of demon from your dad or from your mom or something. It's absolutely unbiblical, absolutely untrue. doesn't happen. You can pick up bad habits for sure. You can carry with you some of those sins because you've learned them and you've decided yourself to do those, but there's, you're in no way in bondage to those things. You have freedom. You made a choice or didn't make a choice, but you're not guilty because of what your father did. So now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they committed more than all their fathers had done. They improved upon their sin. They got better at sinning, okay? They made their own decisions. They saw what dad did, what mom did, but they improved. 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 9 and he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his fathers had done. So he's just as guilty, not of his father's sins, but because he um, replicated his father's sins, followed in his father's sins. 
He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nabat, who had made Israel sin. There has to be a breaking point. There has to be a turning around. Somewhere in the genealogy of our families, it has to stop with somebody. Not because it's a generational curse, but somebody has to turn around and walk the other way and repent. Someone has to acknowledge that God is the creator and he's in charge and we serve him. He doesn't serve us. I mean, he does, but that's his choice. Somewhere along the line, we stop it. We walk with the Lord. We begin to listen to God's word, believe it, apply it, and lo and behold, it works. What an amazing thing God's word is. Thank you for it, Lord. It's a love letter from him to us. Here's the operational manual for life. Follow it, and your body will, and your life will function, you know? Not that bad things won't happen to you, don't get me wrong, but it shows you how to deal with those things. You know that back page? That back page of putting in a TV or something in the instructions, some of you guys don't even look at you toss that. But on the back page, if you've never looked, it gives you troubleshooting advice, right? And the first one out of the box is, have you plugged it in, you know? Have you plugged it in? So many people are trying to figure out why their lives aren't working. I mean, I've pushed every button. I've done everything. I've got it mounted, and there it is. It's not coming on. I don't know what's happened. Have you plugged it in? The very first thing any of us needs to do as a creation of the true and living God is to plug into him. He's everything. He's our source. He's the only way we get power. He's the only way we function properly. Now, Nehemiah does a wonderful thing. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is Nehemiah 8. It's a long one. Beginning in verse 8, So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave a sense and helped them to understand the reading. The nation of Israel is getting plugged in. And once they're plugged in, and Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Why? They wept because they were guilty. They realized how far away from what God wanted them to be, how far away from God they really were. Be holy, for I am holy. And when you see his holiness, you're like, Oy vey. I'm not even close to that. And it causes you to weep. But the response is this. Yes, you realize that you're far away from God's holiness. But the readers, the explainers, the priests say, but don't weep. Now that you understand where you stand, that you're floating there in the middle of the ocean with a life jacket, maybe, maybe not. And you know you have certain death waiting over you. There's a Coast Guard. And they're here to help. Don't weep. Then he said to him, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I've come to help. Now, that Coast Guard helicopter, if you're in your home or you don't realize you're in trouble, you're not that poor sap that's floating out there in the ocean. Oh, there they go again. That racket, that helicopter, why did we move so close to the Coast Guard station, you know? Well, to you, that Savior's a racket. But you got to think about it, you know? Wait, they're going to go help somebody. Clap them along, you know? 
You hear the police sirens or you hear a fire engine or you hear a ambulance or something, you know, going, oh, that racket. No, wait a minute. They're going to help somebody pray, you know? No, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people saying, be still for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and to rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. What a relief. Ezekiel 18.20. Speaking of who owns whose sins. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Each person is solely responsible for their actions. Nehemiah 9. A little bit later from that last Nehemiah passage says this on verse nine. Now the, on the 24th day of the month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dust on their heads. This is after the fat, after the joy of the Lord, after all these things, there's a repentance that takes place. God's not saying, I know you need a savior. Now let's just teach you how to swim in the middle of your misery. The Coast Guard doesn't show up and say, if you move your arms in a circular, you're panicking. No, no, no. Swim, tread. No, they don't teach them how to swim. They get them out of their trouble. And nobody, I don't think anybody in the history of the Coast Guard, every victim has never, nobody, they've never jumped out of the helicopter afterward. Well, that was fun. Let's do that again. There's repentance. Not going to do that again. Next time they say there's severe weather, we're not going out. Honey, you know, I thought I could do it. You can't. There's repentance. When God says, be holy for I'm holy, he's not doing that because he wants to ruin your fun or anything like that. He wants you to have the best life you can possibly have. God is living his best life. It's perfect. It's holy. It's without fault, without sin. He says, I want you to experience this. Join me in this. Get rid of all those things. Get rid of all that sin. Let Jezebel die in your life. Get rid of Ahab in your life. It's a beautiful life when you walk with him, when you walk in his ways. Then those of Israelites' lineage separated themselves from all the foreigners, and what that means is their idolatry and all the things that go along with that, and they stood and confessed their sins, because you know this group, there's a mixed group. You understand that, right? There's Egyptians there's Ethiopians. Moses' wife was an Ethiopian, so on. There's a mixed group of people here. not all Israelites. So when he says remove them from foreigners, he's not saying got rid of them, all them foreigners. No, wrong. Wrong. He's saying got rid of their ways, child sacrifice, all those strange things. These are all the whole group that came out of Egypt here. And they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquity of their fathers. They owned them. They called it. They said what it's called. They didn't, they didn't justify it. I mean, by the time you justify all the sin in everybody's life, and everything, what's the point of Jesus? Why did he die on the cross then? For what purpose? If it wasn't to die for sins? So then by getting rid of all sin, then you don't need Jesus anymore. So what a waste of time to study him. I don't know what we're doing here. Ridiculous. And they stood up in their place, and they read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God for one-fourth of the day. You think my sermons are long? One-fourth of the day. 
You can do the math. It's a long time. And the other fourth of the day, they confess and worship the Lord. So for 12 hours. So today, no, I'm just kidding. All right, let's finish up. Not as long as Jezebel lives, there's not going to be any peace. Then Joram turned around and fled and said to Hazai, treachery of Hazai. Now Jehu drew his bow with full strength and shot Jehoram between his arms and the arrow came out of his heart and he sank down in his chariot. Then Jehu said to Bidkar, his captain, pick him up and throw him into the tract of the field of Naboth the Jezreelite. For remember, when you and I were riding together behind Ahab, his father, that the Lord laid his burden upon him. Surely I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, says the Lord. And I will repay you in this plot, says the Lord. Now, therefore, take and throw him on that plot of ground according to the word of the Lord. Happened exactly like what was prophesied. Prophecy is so important. And that happened in 1 Kings 21.13. We won't read that this morning. But then Ahazi, the king of Judah, saw this, and he fled by the road to Beth Hagan. So Jehu pursued him and said, shoot him also in the chariot. And they shot him at the ascent of Gur, which is by Abelium. Then he fled to Megiddo um, and died there. And his servants carried him in the chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in Uh, his tomb with his fathers of the city of David. In the 11th year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Ahazai had become king over Judah. Now Jezebel. Now when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she put paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through the window. So she got ready for this. This woman is a cat, man. She got all decked out. Who's coming? She's not in fear at all. She goes, is he really? You know, you get this picture of her. I had to use that tone, you know, you know, painting her eyebrows on and then walking out. I get a Cruella DeVille kind of picture in my mind when I see this lady. And she looked through a window. Then as Jehu entered the gate, she said, is it peace, Zimri, murderer of your master? So it's dripping with sarcasm. Is it peace? I know what you're here to do. And he looked up at the window and said, now I don't mean to smile when I read this because it's a horrific event. And yet the way this guy does this is interesting. Okay. Who's on my side? Who? So two or three eunuchs looked at it, little big boys. Then he said, throw her down. So they threw her down. Some of her blood splattered on the wall and on the horses and he trampled her underfoot. And when he had gone in, he ate and drank right after that. Okay. Interesting times. I know. Then he went in, he'd gone and ate and drank. Then he said, go now, see to this accursed woman and bury her. For she was a king's daughter, Ahab. Oh, Ahab was her husband. So they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Told you. Gross. Therefore, they came back and told him, and he, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, On the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as refuse on the surface of the field in the plot at Jezreel, so that they shall not say, Here lies Jezebel. 
We don't want a tombstone. We don't want a place. We don't want a memorial. We don't want anybody to walk up and say, here, here lies Jezebel, poor Jezebel, mourning the loss. And here's my point. We started off this way. I don't want that in my life. I don't want a place where I put a headstone, and that's where I buried my sin over there. And I, I visit sometimes, put some flowers on the grave of my sin because, boy, do I miss it. Oh, here lies my sin. Here lies all those good times, all those fun times. I remember all the parties we used to have. You remember all the things we used to do? You remember, you remember all the heartache that was associated with it? You remember all the damage, the wake of destruction you left in your life before you got rid of that sin in your life? Do you remember that? They don't. Anybody been hung? Don't raise your hand. I've been hung over a lot. Blackout hung over. Woke up. Oh, man, I wish I was dead. I would rather be dead than to feel this right now. But give me a week. I'll forget all about that morning. And I'll only remember that night. I'll say, let's do it again. And then I wake up the next morning. And I remember why I shouldn't have done it again. Give me a week. And that's what it's talking about. Don't leave a memorial stone for your sin. Put it in the rearview mirror. Don't look back on it fondly. It was nothing but destruction and decay. And it was only hurting you and everybody else around you. There lies Jezebel. I don't even remember where I buried that thing. I, have, I am so far forward. I am looking so far ahead. That is so far in my rearview mirror. I don't even remember that person anymore. Keep it back there. God has only good things for us in the future. He has good works for us to walk in. He's prepared them for us. And if I would live an obedient life, I'd run into those moments, those divine moments where I step in. And I'm like, how did I find myself here? But isn't this great? I mean, what a blessing. I never would have saw this. I could never could have found this. I never could have made this on my own. As I walk with the Lord, I find myself just running into these beautiful moments along with the heartache of this world, don't misunderstand me. This is not a, one of those messages where it's like, if you come to Jesus, nothing bad will ever happen to you. Well, that's a lie. No, a lot of you are still going to get cancer. Some of you may be going through it right now. A lot of you are going to lose loved ones, horrifically. A lot of bad things happen. This world is full of sin and ugliness and death and decay, and we live in it, but, but, we can either be the helpers. It's a big thing that hashtag look for the helpers. I don't know if you've looked that up. Don't look at the bad things. Don't look at the destruction. Don't look at the mayhem. Look for the helpers. And although there is that going on all around us, I can be the helper. I can step into those roles. I can scrub graffiti. I can help people out. I can help people up. I can be a blessing to them in the midst of all of it. And that's what God's promising. I want to be that. I think we all do. That's where we close today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. And we recognize our sins and we call them what they are. We won't justify any of them. Sin is sin. It always has been. It's ugly. It hurts us. It hurts everybody else. It's nothing to be friends with. And so we want, it, we want it gone like Jezebel. We want it gone like Ahab. We want to walk in your ways. We want to follow 
your path that you have for us. We want to see the good works that you have laid out for us so we might be able to walk in them, that we might be able to help other people and be a blessing to them and not be a burden and a brick in their life. But we might be that basket that can help them up, be a part of the rescue crew, not a part of the problem. We love you. We thank you for all that you've done for us so far. We look forward to what you have for us in the future. So help us to keep our eyes wide open this week, Lord, to be a blessing to those around us, to spot those moments where you want us, because there's nobody else there that loves you, to step in and be your ambassador, to be your hands and feet, to be that help. Lead us by your spirit. We thank you for that guidance. Love your word. Thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come on up. Be glad to pray with you.